Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. I want to jump in. Jim has been with us now for what, three years officially? Yes. Something yep. like that. Yeah. And um, Jim has been flipping houses for 15 years, maybe longer than that. More since about 02. Since about 02. So going on 20 years. So can you kind of like give us your, I guess, real estate backstory, like how you got involved in fixing and flipping and owning rentals and everything to kind of start? Sure. So when I, when I got out of college, that was always my focus. And I realized I, I thought I realized I had to have the day job first, but I started focusing on real estate, learning as much as I could and found myself owning um, small multi-units and trying to flip. And when I was looking at flipping, I was dropping, you know, letters on people's doors, things like that, just really grassroots bootstrap model, borrowing money from everyone I knew and really, uh, you know, doing the best I could to get started. So I did that, ended up, you know, meeting some goals and then uh, did more and more of it and partnered up with Ocean City a long time ago. We started working in a different capacity and then um, shifted gears just a handful of years ago and, uh, you know, working as a team a little more now than we did in the past. But really I sold uh, the multis I had, the small multis I had years ago uh, for different reasons, but really, because for me at that time, the best focus was uh, the fixing and flipping because using my strengths with construction and some real estate knowledge, I wanted to fix and flip for, uh, for cash flow at that point. And now, you know, now we, we re we revisit that and, uh, looking at the long-term long-term is, uh, is more important now. So you've done everything you know related because this this whole topic is on the construction side so you've done everything from ground up single family new construction stop me if you haven't done any of these things because i'm pretty okay. sure ground up single family new construction you've done condo conversions in areas like boston um you've renovated pretty much every type of single family house that we could potentially think of hundreds of single family homes that we you know again any type of house all over new england right I mean, yes. you yep. always talk about how far you're driving, right? So, yep. So uh, to interrupt you a little bit, to, like just give you a snapshot of that. So during my time in construction real estate, I've, I don't know how many homes I've flipped, but several hundred uh, homes we've flipped. I've done countless condo projects. I've done some large commercial, um, I would even call them flips because that's, that was the approach. Uh, but ground up construction, large commercial, 200,000 square foot buildings, um, tenant them and, and then sell it off. We've done that uh, to single family, uh, new construction. And storage, storage units. Yep. Yep. Some, uh, some self-storage facilities. We've done that. And really, at the, it's all the same premise. It all comes down to, to the same structure that we'll talk about as we go on here. But uh, all that helped me learn a lot about permitting. And that permitting is a big part of construction. So that's the intimidating part in the beginning when you're starting to fix and flip. You can pull a building permit, but when you start to do you know, larger projects and more in-depth projects, the, uh, the permitting process 
is a big part of it. Yeah. And, and as I'm thinking about this out loud, you've done a ton of getting, you know, multifamilies rent ready. So smaller, yeah. like really, I'd have to even think about like what you haven't done. And I'm, I'm not saying that you've done absolutely everything, but I'd be, I'd be pretty darn surprised if anybody on this call, if you haven't been involved heavily in a construction project that someone on this call wants to learn about. So again, for those of you who are listening, kind of keep that in mind if you guys do have questions. But, um, you know, again, like going back to kind of what you do for us, um, you know, we've fixed and flipped, you know, 120, 130 houses this year. Um, You're part of all of the ground up new construction apartments that we're doing. And we've got like, you know, between all different phases of those, we've got a few hundred of those coming out of the ground. You're also part of the renovation team that's getting some of our older multifamily assets rent ready. Um, so again, pretty much almost everything under the sun right now for us that we do, that we focus on, Jim is a part of. So having said all that, you know, I want to make sure that we go through kind of all the topics that I think, you know, make the most amount of sense for people that are on the call. And one kind of question that I get asked all the time, because this relates to any part of construction that you're doing, is how you're out there finding people that are going to do stuff on time, on budget. Like, where do you actually go out and find the right people? So it starts, you have to start somewhere. Let's pick before I had anyone, right? You'd look at your network, your family, your friends that are contractors that as maybe a plumber electrician, I'd reach out to them, just like starting any other business. Um, you'll find that I would say eight out of 10 aren't going to work out, but you're asking your network, who's a plumber that you know that you feel great about that's looking to, looking to make some more consistent money? Or do you have an electrician or a carpenter or plaster or whatever it may be? And you'll find times that you're just going to have to go to the local building department, who do they recommend? They're going to say, oh, I can't recommend anyone, but here's a list. And that's a good place to uh, to start maybe on some larger projects that you know that you want a little more influence from the town on. But on your traditional fix and flip, uh, pick one contractor that you know well, that you trust. You probably have one trade that you know well, that you trust. Ask that person for recommendations. That's your best way of finding quality people. So you said eight out of 10 don't work. Is that something that you have to find out by going through the process? Or you're talking about like, you can filter through the eight out of 10, like upfront. So, you know, we'll make mistakes, of course, but there are certain filters that I'll put into place right away. And if they don't, if they don't pass any of those tests, then they're out before we start. And some of those items, um, you know, I'm just going by experience of memory right now, but some are. You know, what, what's important to you? For me, when I call or text somebody, a reasonable timeline for a response. If I have to chase them to respond to me, I will not do that. And I won't, I won't put them in a contract to work with me. Um, because if you have to chase them to give them the work, you're really going to have to chase them to do the work. Uh, so that's, that's key for me is not chasing contractors. Uh, the next thing is um, you, you already got that referral from a friend or another contractor that you know well, and you ask that, that contractor, say, that you, say you know a, a painter really well. Say, what plumber do you see on all your jobs? They'll give you that name. 
So when you reach out to that plumber, say, hey, do you know, um, do you know Jeff, the painter? Yes, I do. Uh, what do you think? Oh, he's a great guy. We, we work together all the time. Good. So, um, you know, are you, are you looking for more work? Uh, we're straight out. We're slammed. Not a fit. That's no longer a fit for me. If that's person, yeah, we're, we're doing well. We're growing our business and um, happy to see if this can make sense for us. That, okay, now I'll meet you at the job. So then we meet at the job and you have that conversation. This is how you filter them out. You have that conversation. If they're late for meeting you or if they had to reschedule twice, no, thank you. If they had to reschedule and say, hey, text them on an emergency came up. I'm going to be a half an hour late. That's reasonable in construction because emergencies happen for certain contractors. Uh, they meet. You think they can work within your, um, you know, your expectations. Then the critical part is, I would say, pricing. We're not the homeowner that's looking to paint one room in Brookline. That's not who you're giving a, a price to right now. I'm looking for contractor pricing. So general contractors oftentimes get pricing that's 20 to 30% less than a retail price. So they'll, because then the, the general contractor marks it up to retail and that's how they make their money mm-hmm. most of the time. So for us, we're not marking it up, but we're looking to save that 20, 30% from a retail price. So why would somebody do that? Why would somebody take a 20 to 30% discount, you know, for so they're, they're not, I look at that. I, this is how I help them to understand it is they're not taking a discount. They're getting a price. They're giving us the price that they'd give a contractor. So they, they're used to working that way because how long, so they have two, two prices usually in their, we'll say their book, right? One is retail and mm-hmm. one is a contractor price. And if they're only a retail, but let, let's say, all right, that, so that's done. Let's say they're only a retail contractor. So what's their marketing budget look like? Mm-hmm. How many appointments do they have to go on this, this week between five and eight o'clock at night? And how many of those do they close? And I'll ask them that. And they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm so tired of working on Sundays and Saturdays and all night trying to, you know, walk through with homeowners, pick out colors and all that. I have a solution for that. I can keep you busy. I can give you probably more work than you can handle. And that's a problem that we have. I always say that. So what I want to do is start small and I'll, I'll make sure that, um, that I give you an opportunity to price all of our jobs. And once we come up with a fixed price that I know a per room price or a per square foot price, then you don't have to come out and look at it anymore. We can just agree to a number and I'll assign you the deal. So I know that you're saying that based on our volume and what we've done and our reputation mm-hmm. and all that, let's flip it around and say that, you know, you're somebody doing your first, second, third project. What is that conversation? How does that ch- conversation change? if you don't know necessarily that you can give them that much work, maybe your plan is like, well, how would you kind of tackle that? Yeah, I, I would say, so I appreciate the referral that Jeff, the painter gave me. Um, obviously you guys know each other well, and I think it's important that, you know, what, what do you look at when you look at a job and they're going to say, you know, I, I just have to make sure I get paid. That's a big problem with contractors. Okay. I can guarantee you my project's funded. I can pay you as long as we land within a budget, we have a contract. You do what you're supposed to do. I guarantee you, you get paid. It's already funded. Okay, that's a big check for a contractor. They know they're getting paid as soon as they're done. Um, now, I would also say you can come in this house, you know, any reasonable hours of the day, 
and you don't have to move furniture around. You don't have to worry about the dog and the kids and, you know, the, uh, the people working from home, you can come in with a full crew, blast this out and make money. Mm-hmm. And if you put yourself in a contractor's shoes, what are their challenges? Getting work, getting paid and working around people. Everyone has a different personality and that's a challenge for a lot of contractors. Yeah. And I think one thing that, you know, we all know most of us that are on the call are agents. It's like, you know, we might not think about like the process of getting business for a contractor, but it's no different than how we have to go out and we have to get our own listings. We have to get our own buyer leads. They have to go out and do that. And what you find more often than not in the contracting space is that most people aren't salespeople, you know, that are contractors. So yes, you know, some of them do build up a really good business just based on referrals and doing a good job. But like anything else, you have to be out there marketing, spending time. And the benefit of them working with an investor is they don't have to do that. The investor is going to be the one providing them with repeat work, not just like a one-off in a kitchen, not, you know, a, a homeowner kitchen or anything like that. Um, so next kind of topic I have is, is budgeting. Now, Again, going into this with the mindset that we've got people on here that are probably just working on, you know, rentals, right? They might want to go in, they might want to buy a rental, they may want to clean it up and do some some minor work, or they may want to go in, they may want to flip a house, do a bunch of work, they may want to do a condo conversion, they may want to do, you know, a ground up, you know, construct apartment construction like what we do. Um, I guess budgeting high level in general. Like, how do you go about doing it? Do you go about doing it like you're going to have a contractor just bid out prices? Like, how do you, what's your process for budgeting? So I think the budget, it's a separate topic than contractors because you have to create your budget. You can't let a contractor create your budget. If you let a contractor create your budget, you will never be profitable. (laughs) That contractor is going to create their own profit margin and they're going, it's like buying a used car. They're going to keep pushing you up as high as they can. So doing your own budget, um, remind me, I have a, um, a check your math way that I do it, but you, I, I'm a huge proponent of square foot pricing because that's always relative in the space of doing a, an apartment turnover or a fix and flip of a single or two or three unit, or if we're building you know, 98 units, new construction, it's still a square foot number. So, you know, talking mostly on the one to say four unit buildings, your square foot number, there's not a huge economy of scale there. It'll be a little bit, but not a huge economy of scale. When you get to a point of, you know, of 98 units, it's a different economy of scale because, you know, your roof and your foundation, your land costs are fixed. So let's talk about what most of us are probably doing. And that's one, tell me if I'm wrong, one to four units. So in that space, um, in that space on a square foot number, just part of its experience. So you know that carpet and linoleum flooring are roughly the same price per square yard or square foot. Um, you put all, you figure out your paint costs per room or per square foot. Your, your plumbing is per fixture. So a fixture is a sink, a toilet, a dishwasher, a uh, stove, a gas range, you know, things like that. Those are, those are fixtures. You have electrical per square foot. Now that's a electrical is probably the hardest one to budget, but you have to look generally per square foot and an electrician does not price that way. They price per plug, 
per, um, you know, per panel that way, but you can get very close on a per square foot number. The roof per square foot. So that's on a roof is a, um, they say a square on a roof. It's not a square foot. It's a, it's a 10 by 10 square is what a roofer. And so you look at that, what's that cost? So when you, when you add up all your numbers um, on your per square foot pricing, you put a number on a house. And then I look at what, so what's the goal there? Is it an A, a B or a C level? And in my book, an A is the house that anyone on this call wants to live in, right? Is that top quality product that has high end fit and finish and is a, is a really nice product. Now a B is what I would say um, the, it's the, you know, someone's home that they are raising their family in that they're proud of that they maintain every day that has um, it's freshly painted every three to five years, you know, that level house out there that has a nice granite kitchen updated appliances, all new flooring. That is a, that's what I would classify as a B and then a C level product would be more of a rent ready an apartment turnover. We're patching stuccoing walls and just making sure there's no peeling paint and everything's functioning. Uh, you know, keeping the old lights as long as they work. We're only replacing the things that are broken. So when I do an A level on a renovation of a fix and flip um, or a turnover apartment or one to four units, an A level, I would say, is about $90 a square foot. I think this is important for people because this is something that we've put together over time. And these are real numbers during the price points that we're at now during the COVID time and and after when prices went up. So th this, these numbers are pretty fresh within the last couple of months. So an A-level product of a reasonable renovation, $90 a square foot. A B-level product um, is about $60 a square foot. And a C-level product, meaning we're just fixing things and making it, making it habitable, is $40 a square foot. Now, that will create 10,000 questions and arguments because people won't agree. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you the last 200 houses we've done, I went through and classed everyone as A, B, or C level product. And I looked at our actual spend and that was our spend. So, so and saying that'll create an argument, but in, if there was an argument, you would be the winner of the argument. Correct. Cause I, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and the reason reason Hold why on, I got my data from my last 300 houses. Let me pull it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I look at this, it's, that's how I check my math. Go back to eighth grade. How do you check your math? And there has to be a way to do it. So I can tell you my square foot number. So when I put a budget on a house, I'll go in and I'll do the square foot numbers, meaning add up every line item. And that'll bring me to X amount. And then I'll say, okay, this house, average house that we do, now I'll throw this $60 a square foot on it overall as one umbrella number. And if I'm within a couple of percentage points, okay, I didn't miss anything crazy or I didn't, I didn't add too much to this budget. I didn't over embellish anything because I was nervous about it. Okay, this is, a, this is the right number. I made sure I put the right number on the house. Hey everyone, this is Tom Caffarella. I want to quickly interrupt the podcast to number one, thank all of my loyal listeners of the Agent Investor Podcast and tell you guys really quickly about an exciting event we have coming up. 
Uh, it's a two-day event. It's called the Passive Income Real Estate Investor Event um, that you can find out more details at PassiveIncomeEvent.com. We're going to be doing a two-day training session teaching all of the agents and all of the investors at the event on how to achieve financial freedom through real estate. If you're like me and your goal is to not work 80, 100 hours a week grinding, selling real estate, flipping homes, um, definitely check out this event. We're going to teach you how to build a passive income portfolio so that you can retire, so that you can work when you want, how you want, and ultimately achieve financial freedom. So again, go to PassiveIncomeEvent.com for more details. And we look forward to seeing you at the upcoming event. So a couple of things I want to jump in with. So first of all, there are, there are going to be a lot of different types of people on this call live and then people that are on the podcast after the fact. Keep in mind, guys, one of the benefits of joining the Inner Circle is to be able to partner with us on deals like this. Obviously, as Jim is talking, I'm not even kidding when I say like some of the stuff you're saying now, like it's above my level of comprehension because you know I don't do this every day. So one thing for you all to keep in mind is one of the biggest shortcuts, and that's why we created the Inner Circle to begin with, is the ability to partner with us on deals. So if you have a deal and you're like, I don't think I could ever get to the knowledge level that Jim has, I'm concerned about you know budgeting or managing contractors. That is part of the Inner Circle program. And for those of you who haven't jumped on an Inner Circle call yet, all you need to do is go to www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com, book a day and time to speak with me, and we can cover a lot more. If you don't know much about the Inner Circle program yet, I can fill you in on that call. But again, one of the major benefits is essentially that you're literally getting Jim on these particular deals. Um, the second thing um, that I wanted to mention is um, there are definitely people on here who do know, you know, a lot about construction. So, so something like that may not be as big of a benefit to you, but I, I do just want to wanted to address really quickly that I know that there are people on here who are already kind of getting a little bit lost because some of the stuff is technical. And even though Jim's on for an hour, the reality is, is that like, this is 20 years worth of experience, right? It's not something that happened overnight, just like finding deals or managing deals. Like all of these things are things that you need to work on and work at. So you either need to work on getting the skills yourself or partnering with people who have the skills. So Sorry to cut you off there. Continue on. That's okay. So, you know, when I say that 40, 60, and 90, the reason why I joke around and say this is an argument, I have friends that are contractors that, that are quality people that aren't a good fit for us. And the reason why is because they're, they're more of like a, a private client contractor. So if you have an open checkbook and you're in your, your forever house, they might be the right contractors because they're going to be, I'm not exaggerating, for a new construction, 400 to 450 square dollars a square foot to build a house. Now, most of the people on this call are real estate professionals. You know that if you put that into a 3,000 square foot house, probably not worth that when you're done after you bought the land. Mm. But their clients don't care. They're yes. looking to buy the, build their dream house that they're going to stay in and it's a generational home. That's what they're trying to build. Yeah, That's we've, not that and we've had you on different calls and talking about like 
just, you know, renovating homes like, well, you already mentioned it, A, B, and C, right? But there's mm-hmm. people that even go above the A, right? It's like, yeah, money's no it, object. Now, let me be clear. Our A-level product um, for a fix and flip is not a full gut renovation. Mm-hmm. Our A-level, it's all relative, right? Our A-level product is everything is functioning as it should. Everyone, everything's done hundred percent appropriately and upgraded to a, to a nice level. Now, and now a new construction at 400, $450 a square foot for a high-end home is a different product. That's new construction. We're renovating an existing property. That's, that's different on the, and on the new construction, our price is about half of that per square foot because we don't build those luxury homes because the price points aren't, aren't appropriate for the resale. You just put makes sense or it's making sense. Give me some sort of notification that you guys are following along. I don't want to go too slow or too fast. Just give me some feedback in the, in the comment section right now. Um, the other thing is a couple other questions did come in live. Um, so somebody said, you talked about getting contractors via referral. Have you tried putting ads on Craigslist or Facebook? And if yes, what does the ad say? So I have done Facebook. Um, I've done a few Facebook ads in the past. I don't, I don't do that now. Um, instead of, so what does the ad say? Um, you know, who knows a great plaster period. That's it. That's the ad. Uh, <laughs> because again, you're looking for a referral. If I'm just looking for a name, I could just Google plasters and I could start calling people. I'm looking for a referral. So which one of my friends knows a great plasterer? Which one of my friends had a good experience with an electrician? And that will give you probably four or five names. Um, I don't do that very often at all anymore, unless it's a trade that's very unique. Do you recommend that? Or like, I know you're saying you don't do it now. Is it a good practice or do you think that like, the I, referral method is better? So I still consider that a referral, but yes, I recommend that. I recommend, I wouldn't recommend Craigslist. I wouldn't do that. Um, I would recommend a social media platform that you are part of, and you could put something out there that says, which one of my, I'm looking for a recommendation, which one of my friends uh, had a good experience with X trade. And then, okay, great. Who are they? Because that's still, I can call that trade and say, Hey, Jane told me to give you a call. And I was wondering if you, you had time to look at a project for me. Now, Something else that you should do uh, rather than doing the ad. I mean, the ad, sure. That's going to give you a lot of a lot of activity. I'm not sure how much success. Um, but when, when you're doing that, also look through social media and put in um, siding contractor. And you'll find a lot of them. Look at through who their friends are. And if you have a few yeah, common connections. I think about that. You look through a few common connections. I've done this within the last couple of years when I needed more people. All of our guys were totally maxed out on our projects. And I said, all right, I need, I need a few legitimate siding contractors. I don't, I'm not looking for a crew that can throw siding on a building. I'm looking for, for a siding contractor that's a little bit better qualified. So when I did that, I found a few people and, um, you know, I probably had four look at a project and I... I only had one that was really qualified to do it. So that puts you in the driver's seat a little more. 
because you're reaching out. Yes, you're reaching out to them, but saying, hey, I have a project ready to go. Are you ready or not? No, I'm two months out. Not a good fit for me ever. Yeah, that's never a good fit for me. Yeah. This person, need, I need to be the one that, yes, oh, we actually just had a job cancel and I could start in a week or two. Okay, now your price is going to be better too. So another question came in, what's the average cost to gut renovate an, an existing structure to an A-level? So that'd be like con- condos, right? The condos. Yeah, I'll, an- I'll answer the question, but... Um, I'll answer it on our experience and on what we do. And it's about $185 a square foot is our number right now. And that is a gut renovation, a reasonable amount of framing. Um, when I say gut renovation, we have new architectural plans and we are, we are gutting, changing layouts, installing new floor joists, everything. 100% shell, reframed and finished like our condo renovations. And that so is really geez, I should be better at this. I'm 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 definitely a math person. So it's 185k to do like a thousand square feet. In today's market, yes. When we were budgeting, how can these we get those prices ago? down? Yeah. Uh, press rewind like three or four <laughs> years. Um, but no, press rewind two years, honestly, two and a half years. But so if you have you know three thousand square foot, it's like five fifty right now for like a 3000 square foot. So a three decker, you can plan for like five to 550 to do that. Um, for, I mean, a gut quality, a level renovation was the question. So that's and, what you want. And I think, you know, that question may have been somebody asking about maybe their own personal residence okay. or something like that, or maybe they weren't, but I think, you know, this is where I can interject and I do understand this stuff. You have to be very careful to not over renovate because the market never pays you back for that. Um, there, there are only certain areas where going to that level is going to actually make you more money in general. Like you want to go around, you want to look at the open houses, you want to see what's selling in that particular market. And that's the level, same thing with rentals too. Like you need to know what your competition is and going above and beyond usually doesn't get you there because typically by going above and beyond, you're now you're now going into a different price bracket where someone is saying, oh, for that money, I can live in this city. Or for that money, I don't have to live in a condo. I can live in a single family. So you have to be careful. You, you, if I'm picking between the two, I would rather, especially in a market like we're in today where things aren't selling that fast and you know we, we're probably in a recession and people are getting laid off, like I would rather be a little bit less money than more money. More money, again, more money almost never helps you. Like if the average renovated single family in your area is 600 and you do a perfect one and you have to sell it for seven, I'd be very, very nervous. And even myself, speaking from a consumer perspective, a lot of times I can't even tell the difference. Again, I'm not in construction, but if you show me like a completely gut renovated $180 per square foot, Versus like the alternative, which might be like half to, to my eye, I might not even be, be able to tell. And I'm probably certainly not willing to pay for it. So you just have to be really careful with that because that is like, from my perspective, from the business perspective, where I see a lot of people make mistakes, they fall in love with, you know, making the house the way they would want, but then they're not living in it. So 
I was actually, Tom, you just said some key words there. So about a week or two ago, I was helping an investor, agent investor, actually. Um, they had some questions and I was going over a few things with them. And that's exactly what I said. Don't fall in love with the property. It's not your house. Your goal is to make it the comp, right? Yeah. So that comp should range around $60 a square foot because that was the, that was the area that was the product. And that really makes sense. And everyone always says, well, why don't we take this wall down? Why don't we put, open this out and put a deck out here with a glass slider? Because that doesn't change your appraised value. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. And it's tough because again, like we go into it being like, Hey, how would I like it? And if you want to over renovate your own house, that's fine. That's fine. You know, you're living in it, whatever, but from a business perspective, you have to be careful. Um, Can you talk um, quickly? So we talked about finding contractors. We talked about, you know, budgeting. What about just like the management, like high level management of contractors? So without getting into our entire process, but yeah, like best practices, the people best practices are. um, So you pick the appropriate contractor for the location. Now, some contractors will travel everywhere, but be realistic. Think about it again, put yourself in their shoes. So your project is in Framingham. Ideally, you want a contractor in the greater Framingham area. They're going to be more committed to the project. You've now met the contractor. Uh, let's say it's a new contractor, right? You had a conversation with them. You had a, maybe you had a phone call. You feel good about them. You meet them on site. They show up on time. You get a good feeling. You go through, you get your budget. Um, ideally, you have it that at that moment. You already know what your budget is, what your range is. I give it to them. So everyone's like, oh, you're crazy. You're bidding against yourself. Well, I'm not because I'm not going up. So I'm not bidding, I'm giving. And I say, all right, what's, you know, and I'm okay with them being profitable as long as it meets our needs. Um, So I always tell them, I know our number is going to be tight and I'm going to give you my best foot forward. Sometimes I write it in the notes of my phone. I write the number. If they want to haggle a little bit, I'll write it in there. And if they want to haggle, I knock 5% off, 10% off. Uh, But meeting them on site, having the conversation, And then um, coming to a number, then you come to the number, say it's $50,000 for the renovation. That includes labor, material, and all trades. So it's an all-in number. I'm not chasing the plaster, the electrician. If you choose to do that, if you choose to sub everything out, now you're responsible for all permitting because your general contractor is not going to because he or she is not going to make the margin that on all their subcontractors. So keep that in mind. If you choose to sub out every single um, trade, then you are responsible for the permits. Inherent in what your statement is, I'm assuming you would not recommend that to somebody who's doing like their first project, right? Not unless you have a high level of construction experience and you have the ability to legally pull permits. That means you're a licensed contractor in that state. Now, let's even say that you could pull it off Say that it's like a $50,000 renovation. How much do you think you're saving by subbing all that out if you had to put a number on it? If you have a high level of experience, you're saving about 20%. Okay. Uh, Assuming nothing goes wrong. And then what do you think is the most likely outcome of somebody who tries to sub it that has never done done it before? They will go over budget nine out of 10 times. 
by how what percent if you're just throwing a number out there um i bet a fifty thousand dollar budget would become a seventy thousand dollar budget seventy five thousand dollar budget um if you're subbing it out yourself yeah and then those numbers all make sense to me and just to be clear like i mean do we ever sub do we ever sub anything we we did in the past we haven't for a um, a while, a long time. We, we did, we did because we felt as though it was, um, it was a better fit, but the reality for us was time management. Yeah. I, I can only be at so many places in a day. So well, I had to do an all in budget. So answering, press and rewind a little bit, answering the question would be, um, how, you know, what's the process of that contractor? So you meet them on site, you agree to a number. The next step, is a timeline. You agree to the timeline. Okay. It's $50,000 and it's two months of work, whatever arbitrary numbers. Right. So that goes into a contract. That contract has, um, I believe Tom, you share that with everybody, right? The, a contract template. I don't know if I've shared a contract. You mean, uh, the budget calculator, not the budget calculator, but I, I believe it's, it's on there somewhere as a template. But e- either way, <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's not, a, not that I'm unwilling to share. I guess I'm thinking back to if I ever have, and I don't think I ever have. I'm pretty sure um, an agent brought one up to me before. And okay. e- either way, pick a, it, it doesn't have to be ours. Maybe ours isn't even a fit for you. Um, but pick a contract. And I don't care if this is your best friend, put them in a contract. It protects both of you. And that contract, you know, should say um, the dollar amount the scope of work, which is a line item of everything they need to do. Okay. Hold on. Now, now I know what you're talking about. Okay. I got yeah. confused. So that's in, for the inner circle members. I give them access to all of our documents and systems that's in there. I know. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know what you were talking too much construction talk. I'm getting, I'm losing right. it right now. So on that, so that this next step, after you've agreed to a timeline and a dollar amount and scope of work, scope of work being everything that needs to be done to the house. So you itemize those those things you talked about. Uh, what I always tell them, okay, I'll do the contract within the next hour or two and it will be emailed over to you. Okay, great. They need that to pull a permit. If, if a permit's needed, they need that to pull a permit. And if, they, if a permit's not required for the scope of work they're doing, they still need it. So you guys stay friends at the end of the job. So that it gives a timeline, a scope of work, the dollar amount and the payment structure. So depends on the job, depends on the contractor. We usually do three equal payments. And that, that is one to start. Once they start the job, not today so they can start next week. Once they start the job, we give them a third. Then once they have rough sign-offs, we give them a third. Then once we have final sign-offs, including my walkthrough and the punch list being completed. So the city can sign off, but I might not be happy yet. So mm-hmm. the city signs off. I walk through. We agree everything's done. The final payment is released. Ten out of ten contractors are going to ask you for that money early. I'm sorry, I can't do it. That's the answer. I'm yeah. sorry because when you do it, you may as well have just donated that money. Jim, why are you so mean? <laughs> because the goal is to make a business profitable. Mm. So, and it's not your contractor will respect you for that as long as you have that contract. And you show them, say, I can't release this money because I can't get the money from the bank. It's funded, but it's not an open checkbook. Yeah, It's not an open checkbook. This is like, you know, sales 101, right? Like 
you know, you always want to put yourself in the position where you're not the decision maker. Yeah. And if, and if you are, and you're fortunate to pay all cash to all contractors and you're literally sitting at the job, writing them checks, stop. Yeah. Don't do that because now the contractor is going to, I, I can guarantee you I've lived it. If I write them a check or I hand them cash, whatever you, your payment method is at the job, as soon as you drive away, they're driving away. They're going to the bank to cash that check. Yeah. And I'm not kidding. Within a half an hour, you'll even see their tools still out. They're working for that money. So they had, they need to complete their task now. Hold, so hold them accountable to their checkpoints so they can get paid. And it's your job to make sure they get paid immediately. In my opinion, it's your job to make sure they get paid immediately when that task is done. So we have a policy that we, you know, we pay twice a week and that is almost unheard of in the industry. But for us, I hold them accountable to a high level. And so I hold us accountable too of paying them quickly because we're, we're not giving them $400 a square foot. We're giving them 60. So they need that money to continue working on the job. So we pay them quickly. Now at the end, their final payment, Again, we do the walkthrough. We agree. I re- so I release the payment while we're there and we send it electronically to their account um, on that next Tuesday or Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then the job, the job's over. Some of my, con- not some, our contractors um, are now responsible for property maintenance uh, to a degree, property maintenance, that's snow management, ice management, shoveling, uh, raking leaves, cutting grass, plowing, whatever, until until the house is sold. That is challenging for a lot of your contractors. If you don't have a strong relationship with them, make sure that either way that's in your contract. But if you don't have a strong relationship, you should hold back a couple of thousand dollars before the last payment until the house closes. And when it closes, they get the rest of their money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in that, that's something we've added this last year. Uh, you have to be reasonable. But it's, and the reason is it keeps the contractor accountable for their work that the work they did is going to hold up until at least the house sells right that's fair and as you start to do more volume you don't have the means to get out there and mow every lawn and cut all the grass and shovel all the stairs or maybe the location or whatever it might be and if you have to pay a landscaper do you have a landscaper in Framingham if you live in Providence Rhode Island probably Mm -hmm. not so work it into their budget, make sure it's fair for them and fair for you. And everybody usually is happy at the end of that. Which one thing I'm thinking about as you're talking, and I'm thinking about this through all angles, flipping and, you know, you know, small rentals, apartments and things like that. You know, one of the mistakes that we made is we bought a bunch of rentals all over the place. We had them, you know, as far North as Manchester, New Hampshire, we had them as far West as Worcester, as far South as Fall River. So to give people who, you know, are national on the call, that's, you know, two hours, you know, two hour radius. And what Jim said, you know, about having the contractors that live close, you know, if you're building a rental property portfolio, and this is why we, one of the reasons we went to apartments, it's like the more units you can have in one area, the easier it is to find contractors for that specific area, you know, versus having, we had rentals all over the place. It's like, you need an electrician in this area, this area, this area, this area. So you want to, you know, be smart about it. And there's probably not too many people on the call who would do it as foolish as how we did it. But 
just something to kind of like think about. Um, related, I want to switch gears just to, for a second because we a lot of the stuff we talked about is related to like you know forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollar renovations, hundred thousand dollar renovations, like making a house really nice. I want to switch gears a little bit to just the differences between that. And somebody who has a two family, a three family, a four family, and kind of the, you know, the way that, that the construction works, how you would renovate the properties and like, I guess what you would need to kind of focus on if your main focus is on adding units, three family after three family after three family. Yep. So the renovation is going to be, it's going to fall into two categories. One is more of an apartment turnover category and the other one's a value add, Right. We always want to add value, but significant value add or apart or apartment turnover. So I'll talk about both. Significant value add is is quick. So treat that as a B level flip. That's how I would treat that property. Um, but I would hit all the make sure you hit all the key items: heating systems, roofs, windows, um, you know, kitchens, appliances, all the item electrical, plumbing, all the items that are going to. Uh, require a 2 a.m. phone call. So when you have that property, you don't want 2 a.m. phone calls. You don't want your asset failing because of a leaking roof that had a small leak that no one could see that was, you know, someone kept painting over maybe in the past or something. Replace the roof. It's your asset. It's your long-term hold. So the rest of the property you can do, I would select a color paint that you really like and paint everything that color in every building, maybe two colors, you know, pick two. We do a Stonington gray, which is a light trendy gray in all the common space. It weathers well. Um, and we do a white heron in all the units. White heron is an off white. We do a flat paint. So it almost looks like a primer, but we can do the, you can do a satin finish too, if you like, but flat hides any imperfections on a rental. There's usually imperfections in the walls. So on those, you're just, you're paint, and this is, now I've transitioned into rent ready because everything after the roof, the siding, the foundation, the windows, that was your initial capital investment to make this property your long-term hold. Now you're, you should be good for the next 15 years on that. So now you're, you've turned over an apartment. Someone's been there for three years. You're turning that over now. I would select, you still have the same color paint from a popular manufacturer like a Benjamin Moore, you can have your painter come in and spray that entire apartment, ceiling, walls, and trim the same color, white heron. It's very, it's a very clean look. And either you shampoo the carpets, you replace them, you do new linoleum. It's, you know, it's about $2.30 a square foot to, to replace that. So it's going to cost you, say, you know, what size is your apartment? 2500 bucks to um, to swap out those flooring or carpet if you need to. If you don't, you shampoo them for maybe $300 and you move on to the next unit. Not really a big fan of the white heron. I'm more of like an eggshell type of guy. White heron's the color. White <laughs> heron, yeah. I, I, yeah, so, um, <laughs> so uh, the other thing that I wanna mention, again, that's a business related thing. It's just something that Jim mentioned really quickly which is that you want to do, if you can, the value add in the beginning. This has nothing to do with how to renovate a house. This has to do with the business perspective of how to grow a portfolio. In an ideal world, if you're buying multifamily real estate, 
you're buying it, you know, a little bit of a discount up front. You're buying something that needs a little bit of work. You're dumping all the money into it in the beginning if you can. You want to do that for two reasons. Jim mentioned kind of the construction reason, which is like getting all done and then have the minor stuff to fix over the course of time. But I want to give you another business reason to do it that way, which is related to the Burr strategy. In an ideal world, if you're buying multifamily assets at a little bit of a discount, you're going in, you're doing capital improvements, you're getting them rented at fair market value. Hopefully in a year, 18 months later, you can go back to the bank and you can pull all your money out. Sometimes you can pull more of your money out to then do your next deal. So there are a lot of different ways that you can build a portfolio. If you have the ability to add the construction component in, it just allows you to have a lot more leverage with your money. You know, a lot of people go, in, go into our seminars, our classes, you know, capital is their issue. But capital becomes less of an issue if you have this construction element where then you can get your money back out as compared to say, well, what if I just buy a fully renovated three family? Well, that's fine. But a year later, you're going to have no equity in that deal. And the problem with that is that you can't pull your money back out anytime soon. If you buy a fully renovated two-family or three-family, you might be waiting five, six, seven years to pull your money back out. So there's a lot of reasons why construction is important with investing. Again, there's so many different ways to do all this stuff, but just something I wanted to kind of add in. What about the difference between you know, that versus some of the apartment buildings we're doing? Like what's, I mean, there's definitely a major difference in the approach with construction. We have the 88 unit. In Nashua, we have um, a potential 66 unit coming up um, that we're going to be working on that will be ground up new construction. What's the difference there? High, high level. It's a, you press reset. It's a different, if it's a different approach, right? Yep. So one, you go into a different bucket of new construction, which is totally different than renovating. So new construction is about preparation and entitlement. So you're entitling um, you're entitling the land, the property, the asset. So you've added value once you've done entitlement. Entitlement is really simply said permitting or in approvals. So once you have everything permitted and approved, um, you then line up your construction team. Your construction team is a little bit different. It consists of architects, engineers, um, you know, a site contractor is a key person and your legal team is key. So that team is working on that project for usually about a year before people even talk about it, before people know about it, getting the entitlement and everything really construction ready. Then once you break ground, meaning your site crew goes out there, demos the building that's on site maybe, or clears the trees or whatever you might have. In, in our region, um, there aren't there is not a lot of raw land anymore that we can just go out and clear and start building. And, you know, some of the areas in the south, northwest, there's still there's still a lot of raw land. So might be different in your market. But for us, we're doing the demo site work. And once that starts, you've done all your construction ready things. You pull your permit, you do your site work. Now you start building. Now you start. So to say that you need to really stay on top of your bank draws, you need a good capital partner. Uh, whether that's institutional lending or private equity and uh, managing the construction there. I recommend if you're going to tackle something of that size, you should be on site every single day. 
you should, and I don't mean stopping by and saying hello before you pick the kids up at the bus stop. I mean, because that's what we do when we're flipping a house and we're trying to fill it in with our, with the rest of our lives, including our day job. You can't, you can't fit that into your day job. So that becomes your day job. You should have a construction trailer on site that you're sitting in all day to continue to manage the people on site. So um, somebody asked a question that I want to address. It was already actually answered in the comment section, but Eric said, if I have no construction background, how do I write a detailed scope of work? And um, Gordon already answered it on the chat. He said, if, it, if you're a newbie partner with somebody that has experience, learn while you earn. And I think that that's such an important concept there where, especially if you're kind of like in the newer stages of becoming an investor, you're going to listen to so much stuff, right? You can go on YouTube, you can talk to people, you can get educated. There are going to be missing knowledge gaps, right? So I can guarantee, I mean, I've been doing this for close to 20 years. I don't know 10% about what Jim knows about construction. There's a reason that he's a part of our company, but if you're not a part of our company, there's a, just a couple things to kind of think about. First, if you can become a piece of any deal, you know, everybody thinks about like, hey, I want to own everything 100%. I want to do the deal myself. But the problem is if you have to fill in all of the knowledge gaps before you do your first deal, you may never do a deal. Or, you know, sometimes you see people that are truly, they're just overconfident. And then they go in, they're like, yeah, I'll figure it out. And figuring it out has a price to it, you know, and I'm not saying that that never makes sense to do because you do have to learn. But what Gordon said, I think is so important. Like if, if there is a way for you to work with somebody else who has a lot more experience, mistakes in real estate, unfortunately, they're not like $500 mistakes. They're just not. They're, they're thousands of dollars to potentially millions of dollars, depending on how big you know the, the size of the asset is. That's really why we created the Inner Circle program to begin with, right? So one thing that I don't mention a lot you know, when I talk about the Inner Circle is you guys are getting access to me as part of the Inner Circle, which you know, my ego is what it is. It's extremely valuable. But you're not just getting access to me. You're also getting access to my team. And a lot of times getting access to me means that I might be asking Jim a question to get back to you, right? You may not talk to Jim. You may not even know that Jim is the one answering the question. I mean, even in the past, you know, couple of weeks, Jim, we've gotten, you know, questions. Hey, who, could, who should I go to for this? What should I do for that? And I don't tell people you're the one answering. I just, I just answer the question, right? Yep. So you're not just getting access to me, you're getting access to my team, but you're also getting the ability to potentially partner with us. So keep that in mind. Like if you're somebody who thinks that you're in sales like me, that's what I did on day one. I mean, you know, Jim, you know my story, right? I partnered with Bill. I partnered with Scott. Why did I partner with them? Because I'm a salesperson, right? I'm like all the people who are on the call. Like I'm good at marketing. I know how to find deals. I'm very good at that but I don't know how to renovate houses. And honestly, I never will because I ended up finding really good partners. So keep that all in mind. Gordon, I love your answer. Um, and just because you partner with somebody in the beginning doesn't mean you always have to partner with them. And, you know, again, the caveat here being you have to find people that you know, like, and trust and who have done it. Like, it doesn't make sense to go run out 
you know, just partner with anybody. But if you find the right people, it makes a lot of sense. We're running up against the hour. So Jim, lumber costs is going down. That should mean that, that, that our, our renovation should be going down. Where do you, seriously, where do you, because me and Jim always joke about this all the time. Jim will come in, $60,000 budget. My first response is, okay, we need to do it for 45. Where do you seriously see labor and materials going in 2023 if you had to kind of open up your crystal ball? So my best guess, and then I have a comment. Uh, my best guess is that I don't foresee them coming down enough that it will drastically affect the budgets. Yeah. But I also, most product has not been going up as much as it was before. So at the same trend, we were seeing lumber or plumbing supplies, plumbing or electrical supplies were insane. The, just the, the jumps that they were making weekly was insane. We are still seeing it, but it's not the drastic jumps like it was. And some things like lumber have come down a little bit and probably will continue. So I would plan your budgets to be flat for next year. You know, we, we don't have a crystal ball, but my best guess is that they're not going to skyrocket more than they are. My comment is what I would change would not be my budget, but my strategy. My strategy or our strategy changed over the last couple of years because what can you control? You can control your strategy. You can't control lumber cost. We keep saying lumber. How much lumber do we put into a flip? Not a, not a tremendous amount. You put a bunch hold of- on, other, though, but, but when uh, lumber was going through the roof, hold on, back, back, back this up. When lumber was going through the roof, that was what you were saying to me. You were saying to me, look at lumber prices. So, so now I'm saying lumber's lower and now so, you're saying lumber's not the uh, metric. The two things on the lumber, on the I gotta, lumber you know conversation. What? I got I to put a mic and record you at all times. Move. So again, strategy, like again, strategy. So yeah. at, that, at that point, the, the lumber prices were going up and we were building a tremendous amount of condos at that point. So there was, we were buying a lot of lumber then. Um, on a fix and flip, you can control the strategy because you don't have to gut a fix and flip. You yeah. can paint more, you can repair more. You'll still buy lumber, you'll still buy product, but your labor will be higher than your material cost if you strategize properly because you can control that renovation. Now, that product is no longer a gut renovation A, it's now a nice B because you've done a very good job repairing everything. So you don't your demo and disposal costs went down and your product material costs went down. But you're you're keeping all of your people working and your product is still a solid sellable product. All right. Well, I know you have to run. You got stuff to do. Um, obviously, I appreciate you taking the time out of your out of your day to, to do this. Get us all educated, guys. Give me give me a like if you enjoyed having Jim on, and you might want to see him, you know, a little bit more in the future. Obviously, we're not going to have every single um, podcast about construction, but just give me some feedback if you if you feel like you'd like to have him on periodically, give me a thumbs up. If you feel like that this was all you needed and you wanted to just hear a high level overview, you don't have to give a thumbs up. It's, it's totally cool. But again, what I'm trying to do as much as possible is give you guys as much value as I can without you being a part of the inner circle. There's only so much that we can do. And trust me when I tell you, there's a lot more behind the hood when you're working with us on a day-to-day -day basis. There's a lot more ways that we can potentially help you guys. 
Um, you know, part of the inner circle, you get 24 seven, 365 unlimited access to me. You also get the ability, like I mentioned earlier, to partner with us on deals. You get all of our systems, all of our tools. Jim talked about, you know, the contracts that we use with contractors, all of that stuff, all of our systems that are documented, all of the contracts that we use, uh, we give to every single person that's in the inner circle. You get, um, free tickets to all of our quarterly events that we have, VIP access to all of the events that we have, and a lot more other things, but those are kind of the high level things. And again, if you guys are interested in learning more about joining the inner circle, there is both paid and free options to get into the inner circle, but you do have to book a call, www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com. Jim, where are you headed next? Uh, next up, Peabody. Peabody. All right. Hopefully something good. Close by. <laughs> is, that, is that for the apartment? Uh, it is. All right. Nice. Yes. All right, guys. Well, again, thank you. And you got, um, you didn't get any thumbs up, so you won't be back. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Take All care, right, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the Agent Investor Podcast. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show and leave a review, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get free weekly education strategies and to connect with other agent investors across the country, join our free Facebook group at agentinvestor.com. Again, that's agentinvestor.com.